This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell from the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Mariah Sweetman, welcome to Better Reading. Thank you so much for having me. Mariah is a proud descendant of the Goodapool people. She is passionate about First Nations histories and engaging young people with stories. She loves to create with words and paint, often writing poetry and painting in her free time. She's a teacher by trade with a Bachelor in Education and Arts, Master of Education, specialising in Indigenous education. Her book, Robert Runs, and that's the book we're talking about today, is a look into the Deeping Creek Massacre and the tough reality of mission life. Weaving fact with fiction, this compelling story details the events leading up to that fateful day. It's a big subject. Yeah, it's massive. Yeah, tell me a little bit about the story and why you wrote it and the combination. I really want to kind of talk a lot about the combination of fact and fiction. Mm, Yeah. Well, I was studying my, I was doing my master of education and it honestly, the things that I was learning when I was doing the subjects about Indigenous history, it was so shocking and appalling to me. And I'm a person with Indigenous backgrounds and my family has a mission background. I visited that mission. I visited Deven Creek Mission. I visited Perga Mission. And yet I didn't actually know the policies and the practices. And I had family members and friends ask me about what I was learning and it was really hard to communicate it. So to be honest, me writing this novel was a way to creatively express everything that was going on in my heart and my mind. And yeah, it really helped me. And I hope that it communicated to other people just a little bit about what went on in Australia's history. Mm. Do you know, I mean, I'm not a First Nations person. My parents are Lebanese background and they immigrated in the 50s. But when I see these missions, I'm full of horror and sadness myself and I have no connection to the people other than the human experience, right? Mm. Um And I often wonder how we deal with it if you're part of that family. I mean, we have a terrible history of poverty, of death, death in custody, of young Mm. deaths in custody. So it's a really big subject to be writing a book about that's largely, I know it's, it's kind of YA, but it's a crossover, isn't it? It's YA and also adult fiction. Would that be how you'd describe it? Yeah. So I would... I would say that it's meant for school students because I'm a teacher and another inspiration that I had, I had lots of inspirations for this book, but it was just when I used to communicate to young people in my classroom and there was a bit of disbelief, but also a gap in the knowledge. 
of what happened. Yeah. So I, I wanted to create like, it, yeah, Robert Renz is, it's, I would like to think it's a digestible novel for young people, but also for adults too. So Because we're all learning. Yeah, yeah. So I wanted to make the characters, um, yeah, I just wanted to make the novel accessible for young people, but also for adults as well. Mm. So go back and tell me how you came to writing. I want to go right back where you grew up and did you love reading? What environment were you in as you grew up? Talk to me about that. Yeah, I'd say that I've always been very creative, um, making up stories. When I was a little girl, I wanted to be a journalist and I'd, I'd like loiter around neighbors' houses to try to think of stories like that I could write reports about. Um, Where did you and go? So I grew up in Queensland in Redcliffe and, yeah, always been very creative, I'd say, very drawn to painting and writing and you know writing songs writing stories um any kind of literature really I'd love to write up yeah I loved reading I'd say that the most things that I read though it was probably the bible when I was growing up and that is some pretty tough literature for a young person to read but you know I'd be going through it like what does this mean what was the historical context here Yeah, so I think that it was the Bible that really um, made me hungry for literature and stories. And why were you reading the Bible? I've grown up in a Christian home, so I've had a faith since I was very small. I can't remember not having a faith in God, so that was always very comforting for me and that that comes from both my Indigenous family and my non-Indigenous family as well. Okay. Now tell me about the difference between your Indigenous family, where that comes down the line, and your non-Indigenous family. So my dad is Indigenous and he's a part of the Goodaful tribe and my mum is non-Indigenous and she comes from a Dutch background. So my, my grandfather, he was, I think he came from a long line of Australians that came you know, from the boat in the first fleet, I think, doing um, family history. And my grandma was a an immigrant from, from Holland. So, right. yeah, it's a really interesting to kind of battle with those two perspectives, not that they're, they're really different or have differing opinions, but just, yeah, wanting to have empathy for both sides and different struggles in the Australian life. And I think that my novel did touch on that a bit. Like, well, what was it like for the people who ran the mission or what was it like for the children who are on the mission? Um, and that's definitely been birthed out of my own experiences, being someone who is Indigenous but also with a non-Indigenous background as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you grew up. Um, when did you think you wanted to be a teacher? Did you ever think you wanted to be a writer? Uh Interesting. I wanted to be uh, a missionary. I wanted to go overseas. I wanted to teach people about God and I wanted to use practical skills to do that. Um, And I thought the most practical skill that you can have is to be a teacher and to be able to teach English. So I yeah, got went to uni. I studied English and studied history and got my education degree. But uh, yeah, I've always had that idea of like, yeah, wanting to write as well. And in my teaching profession as well, like I, uh, 
you know, I teach my kids to write, but I also want to model that too. I don't want to give them an assignment and say, hey, you've got to write a poem. Like I'll do it too. And I'll show them what I've done. Um, and that's really exciting for me to be a lifelong learner along with my students. Yep. So how long have you been teaching? Five years. Right. Yeah. Okay. And so when was it that you decided, okay, I'm going to have a go at writing a novel? Or had you written a novel before? Was this your first? I probably have three different manuscripts that are just lying in my Google Docs. Um, very different. Like one of them is a nonfiction kind of about my experiences in life and like my personal faith journey. Another one I was kind of working on with my husband. We were doing some research on friendship. So just like a nonfiction thing that we were doing together. Um, and at the moment, a crime fiction manuscript just lying, lying in my Google Docs. But I think there was this real um, compulsion to write this story that Robert runs. Um, it would have been... Oh, just a couple of summers ago and I was in a holiday house. I was on break from teaching. I was on break from my uni and I just felt this compulsion to write down all of these things that were going on in my brain that I had learned about in, uh, in my studies and things that I'd been teaching in school. And that's just like all of this whirlwind of things. I was like, I just have to get this down on paper. Had you, the process of not writing a novel is very different, as you know, to short form, to writing an essay or to write an assignment or whatever. So how did you approach it? I approached it in the way that I teach my students to approach it, which is start with a theme. What do you want to communicate? What message do you want your readers to walk away with? And then I backwards mapped from there the important parts. And then from there, when I had the absolute bare bones of my story, then I filled it in and I added those details. What characters could draw out the most meaning? What characters could um, express um, the childlike qualities here? And then I just filled it in. Um, and that honestly was a way that I felt like I could go back to my students and say, hey, guys, like I did it. Um, so you can do it too. And it, the, this process actually works. Mm. Did you think when you were writing it that you were writing it for students? Did you think it was YA then? I did. Yeah. 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 I, I had my, I had young people in mind and I just, the young people that I've interacted with who sadly have gaps in their knowledge about what happens. And I, I just think that our young people deserve to know, you know, Indigenous and non-Indigenous, they have the right to know. Yeah. And that just made me, that really inspired me to write this story. And, yeah, it was for them. It was for young people. Mm. And in your writing and your research, did you learn more about your dad's side of the family? Tell me what you learned and tell me about your experience there. Yeah. So uh, I've grown up knowing this story and, um, you know, some aunties, you know, sharing photos, sharing um, stories, um, visiting the missions um, where my family was. But also if you go to Ipswich, where my family and the Goodable people are the traditional custodians of, you can see a lot of places that commemorate my family and these, these people. 
I think it, it, it is always very confronting to think of these historical practices and to think of these really sad histories in the lens of your own family. That's very mm-hmm. confronting because I've always known the stories. I've always known, oh, you know, that it was really hard on the missions or, you know, this or that. But then to actually have the the university readings in front of me and you know the the policies yeah that was that was really confronting and difficult hey i'm ryan reynolds recently i asked mint mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation they said yes and then when i asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts they said what the f*** are you talking about you insane hollywood ass so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. And you discovered that in your research. Yeah, yeah. Well, I... I knew the stories um, from my family and what's accessible through, you know, the council. And But I knew more of the historical practices and those policies through my uni readings as well and doing readings for my assignments. Mm. And why did you pick this particular subject to write about? My great-great-grandfather. Yeah. So... There were two different responses. I think there was a part of me that was very excited to honour my great-great-grandfather. And a reason was because I used to play games of two truths and a lie with people. And that was like a go-to thing for me. It's like my great-grandfather was the great-great-grandfather was the fastest man in the world. And that was a truth. But Often people wouldn't believe me and be like, nah, that's not true. Nah, don't believe you. Uh, So that was a part of it, to be honest. It's like, no, this is true. And you don't just need to go to Ipswich to, you know, see where all of this is. Um, So, yeah, I wanted people to know his name. I wanted people to know about his significance. And then the other layer of the reason I wanted to do it is I just thought that he was a great figure to show I guess, the depths behind what it means to be a a figure like he was. And he was a great um, patriarch in the family. You know, he was a tribal man um, and, you know, a man of great influence. But what could it actually have been like on those missions? And those, yeah, were the two kind of areas that really inspired me to write. Hmm. And how did you collect information? Like how did you, is it readily available or was it that you visited the missions and you collected oral history? Talk to me about the process of getting that research going for you. Yeah, so my first manuscript was from like oral histories from my family. The next step would have been 
when I was doing research for uni and just finding that more Queensland level about policies and practices and the different missions that were there. And then I, I got lots of documentation from um, an elder, a beautiful elder. So he gave me lots of um, like photocopied information about Robert Anderson's life. So those were three different areas of gathering that information. Mm. And was it emotional? Yes, it was an emotional journey for me. And interestingly, I think it started with anger. Um, it made me angry that people didn't really fully understand. And, and I have amazing, um, communities that I'm in and I've never encountered somebody that doesn't actually want to know and isn't like open-minded, open-handed, like wants to know the truth. But I just, yeah, it, it angered me. What angered it you? Exactly. I was angry that I wasn't taught more of these things in school. Actually, the first time that I learned about what happened on the missions or the first time I learned that there were massacres, mm. I never learned that in my life, was at university um, when I did my education degree. And I thought, wow, like as a little girl, I was really proud about being Aboriginal um, I was really proud of my family, but I was, I did a lesson on Aboriginal history when I was in year four. It was a very cursory lesson, but they, oh, like Aboriginal culture sounded scary. And it was, oh, like. It's a great yeah. unknown, you know. Yeah. Um, and it was the common narrative that, oh, you know, that then, the diseases came in and that's how a lot of Indigenous people died. And when I learned more about it, I was like, yeah, it really upset me. And I think that that sadness turned into anger, which really drove me to, well, I want, I want people to know. And I don't want to have the benefit of the doubt, like, oh, well, what if there were lots of, um, you know, diseases that eradicated people groups? Like, no, like, look at the massacre map, like look at the information that's being recorded. Like there was a lot of violence. It was devastating. It was traumatic and, and let's honor those stories. Mm -hmm. I agree with you totally. Um, okay. So you've written a book um, and why this book that you wanted to get published and talk to me about your path to publication. How did that come about? Yeah, well, I'm my favorite publishers uh Magabala and I've read a lot of books from them and I was on their website regularly and then I saw that they have the Daisy Udamora award um and I thought that this manuscript really fit in well with it um so that's how I entered it and I was so nervous and I hadn't told anyone that I was writing this manuscript and I it wasn't yeah, finished it was, totally finished no, it wasn't no. finished. Uh, I, I, I'd say that it could have been finished, but I knew that it wasn't finished. Yeah. Um, and I knew that there were things I wanted to add and, and just wanted to refine things. And I, I also wanted to take it again to the elders, like, is there anything you want me to include? And there's like little um, like nuggets in there of, of um, things that have been included. Um, uh, 
yeah, so I, I hit submit and I, I just felt so nervous. I was so close to just not submitting it because I was like, oh, this is so silly. Like it's um, it's something that's very important to me, like very close to my heart. I, I don't think anyone else will, you know, it'll connect with anyone else. I, I don't know. Um, but I submitted it and then I got an email like a couple of months later saying it's been shortlisted. And then I told my husband, oh, so I wrote like a, a manuscript and which to be honest, isn't unusual because I do a lot of like creative things on my laptop, but um, it was thrilling. It, it honestly was like one of the happiest moments of my life. I was absolutely buzzing. Mm. Yeah, it's such a special moment. And then from there, flew to Perth and was at the awards. And yeah, it was just a beautiful moment to be able to get on stage and to honour my beautiful family and to thank them for the stories that they've passed on and I've been able to be a part of as well. Mm. And do they know the story? Do, have you shared the story with your family? I've sent them a couple of copies. Yeah. 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 Um, given like you know, an overview, but it, it's interesting because I've been very, I guess, secretive with my family not about the story not about what it's about but it, it just feels like a part of myself yeah. is being given away it, it, it feels oh like yeah no it's not you know he's not just my great-great-grandfather but it's just yeah the way I tell a story or the way I word things it, yeah it just feels vulnerable mm, feels like a piece does. of me yeah absolutely do you think you'll keep writing novels Yes, I would love to. Um, I think it's so fun. It's so, um, I just love to be able to express myself in that way. But it is draining. You have mm. to give a lot of yourself and it mm. takes a lot of commitment. So maybe in a couple of years. <laughs> mm. I was going to ask you, so in terms of work and how you approach it, because you are working full-time as well and writing can be a full-time job. So are you yeah. kind of sneaking in moments? Are you writing just in the school holidays? How do you approach the work aspect of writing a novel? Yeah, so the first manuscript that I did was during the big holidays from, you know, over December yeah. and early January. And I, I spent a lot of time just, you know, in bed at a desk. Um, and that was so life-giving for me as well. That that really felt like a holiday. But, yeah, there's, you know, after-school time. There's, you know, the weekends. Um, but I definitely got most of the manuscript done in that first holidays um, because I was putting so much time into it. So then it just came to you know, polishing and, um, yeah, weaving in extra parts that I thought were um, it was important. self-editing. Yeah. Yeah. And do you belong to a writer's group or anything like that or you tend to work solo? Yeah, so I'm a member of the First Nations Australia Writers Network, but aside from that I'm not a member of any writing groups, but I would love to be. I would love to. Um, and how does that network meet? Do they meet by Zoom? Do you write with others or is it, how does it work? At the moment I'm just receiving the emails and right. keeping an eye out for opportunities. Yeah, lovely. Because a lot of um, young authors tell me that they belong to particular groups where, you know, you write together or, you know, you read each other's work or something like that. Um, that sounds fantastic and something yeah. I'd definitely be interested in. 
Yeah, you just got to find your way. But now that you've got a published book, you might find that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> Tell me about teaching. Do you teach, what age group do you teach? I teach from year seven to year 12, but for English, it's mainly middle schoolers. Um, for history, it's middle schoolers, but for Christian studies, it's from year seven to year 12, whatever year they'll give me. Right. And do you think your kids are going to be very happy to see that you've got a published book? Yeah, well, I walked into the classroom one day and they clapped for me. It was so beautiful. It was so, so beautiful. And yeah, have a student asking, when, when is your book out? When's your book out? Yeah. And, and it was just really exciting for me to be able to say like, you can do it. Mm-hmm. Students, I've got, you know, some students who've got their own manuscripts as well. I'm like, yeah. you can do it. Just keep going. Yeah, you're, um, you're, you'd be a terrific role model because often kids, you know, haven't met writers or published writers, even though they aspire to be writers themselves. They don't know a writer. Yeah, I'm blessed to have colleagues who are published authors as well. Yeah. So that's um, good role modelling. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right, we're out of time, Mariah. Thank you so much. So good to chat with you today and congratulations. Yeah, thank on you. Thank you so much. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere, or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBook Store. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Need new glasses or want a fresh new style? Warby Parker has you covered. 
Glasses start at just 95 bucks, including anti-reflective, scratch-resistant prescription lenses that block 100% of UV rays. Every frame's designed in-house, with a huge selection of styles for every face shape. And with Warby Parker's free home try-on program, you can order five pairs to try at home for free. Shipping is free both ways, too. Go to warbyparker.com covered to try five pairs of frames at home for free. Warbyparker.com covered. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.